Hello and welcome to the first episode of Future Medicine AI Hub podcast series. My name's Emma Hall, the editor of Future Medicine AI Hub, and today I'm joined by Taylor Cantor, who is a fifth year cardiothoracic surgical resident at the University of Michigan. Taylor's research is focused on applying mixed reality technologies to medical and surgical applications and various clinical applications. Thank you for joining us, Taylor. It's great to have you with us. Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, to kick this off, could you provide a brief overview of your career to date? Yeah, so in terms of how I got to where I am, in the United States we have lengthy uh, medical training. So I did my undergraduate degree uh, in biology and got a minor in economics as well from the Ohio State University in Columbus, Ohio. And then I spent four years doing my medical training and education at medical school at the uh, University of Cincinnati College of Medicine. And then I was fortunate enough to get accepted into the Integrated Cardiothoracic Surgery Program here at the University of Michigan. And that training is composed of we have six years uh, in total of clinical training. The first three years are clinical and it's kind of a mix of general surgery and cardiac and thoracic surgery. And then we do two years of what we call academic development time. So it's usually research time for most residents. Most residents go off and they do uh, kind of outcomes-based research or they do bench research, usually within their field of study. So most of my peers are you know, doing research in cardiac surgery. And I want to do something a little bit different. I wanted to be a little bit innovative. I saw extended reality as a field that was uh, vastly growing and was becoming more ubiquitous, both in the general population, but it's just got a myriad of use cases, specifically within medicine. And I truly saw it as kind of the next frontier of not only medical education and, and training and simulation, but actually using it for you know, medical use cases, whether that be in the operating room or to uh, enhance patients' clinical experiences. So we actually carved out what is now the Center for Surgical Innovation Fellowship. So I was the first Center for Surgical Innovation Fellow here at U of M. I was thankful enough to have the support you know, of, the, of the university to create that position. And we were also fortunate enough to get several different grants that were associated with extended reality and, and developing uh, extended reality applications and testing those applications in the field. So I've been doing that now for the last two years. And then uh, eventually I'll go back into my clinical training, finish off to become a, a board-certified cardiac surgeon in the future. But as of right now, my focus is all on extended reality and driving innovation in that field to really uh, explore how it can be used in medicine and validate those processes to try to improve patient outcomes. Oh, that's really cool. Thank you for giving us your overview of your career. What is extended reality and how could it benefit or advance medicine? Yeah, great question. So there's often like a lot of confusion on extended reality, especially with you know people that aren't as attuned to the, to the new technology and some of the modalities um, that are contained within it especially working in the surgical environment, you know, where we're dealing with, you know, a lot of surgeons that are, you know, in their 40s, 50s, 60s, they didn't necessarily grow up in that digital Asian environment. So we commonly have to kind of explain this question, but extended reality is kind of a breadth of different virtual technologies. So you've got virtual reality, which is where you are completely immersed in a digital environment. So that's, you know, the meta, the Oculus Quest, you know, you put on a headset, you're completely immersed in, in a digital surrounding. So you can't see you know, the, the surrounding, that your, your actual physical space. Then you have augmented reality. I think that one of the you know, first really common applications of that was things like Pokemon Go, you know, where you're, you get your phone and you're searching in your real yeah. space and all of a sudden kind of a Pokemon kind of pops out. You also see it with things like, you know, if you're going on Amazon and you want to see how a new TV looks in your family room, you know, you can click how it looks in my family room and all of a sudden you can pop that TV up on a wall. So those are the augmented reality experiences where it's, you know, bringing in digital components, but into your physical, tangible environment. 
And then you have mixed reality, which is where you can interact with both digital and physical elements alike. So mixed reality can combine all the concepts of virtual and augmented reality and really brings in digital components and allows you to, to interact with, with all of the different elements, virtual and tangible, in a singular environment. And so we do a lot of our simulation and procedural work in that mixed reality environment because you can still kind of do the mechanics and kind of go through the procedural workflows, but also get that muscle memory component. But that's kind of the breadth of virtual, augmented, and mixed reality. All of them are encompassed under kind of a global umbrella of extended reality technologies. Okay. Yeah, that sounds really cool, actually. Could you tell me about the Mixer Centre opportunity and what the main goals of the centre are? Yeah, no, great question. So Mixer is, uh, stands for Medical Innovations in Extended Reality. And so Mixer is a National Sciences Foundation uh, industry collaborative, so it's IUCRC, which means that it's a collaborative between industry and academia or academic institutions. It's funded by industry, so industry members come in, they pay to become a member because they want to be contributing within that field or or research that's being done within that field can contribute to their technologies. And then we work with industry, getting the industry's professional input you know, their professional services in terms of development, knowledge base, et cetera. And they combine that with academia and they say, academics, what do we need? Like, where should this technology be used and where can it be used most efficiently? And so it's an NSF IUCRC. The three academic institutions that are involved are the University of Maryland College Park, which is the lead institution. Then we have the University of Maryland Shock Trauma, so that's their medical side, which is another institution that's involved. And then we have the University of Michigan with Michigan Medicine. And we also have talks of getting additional institutions like the University of Illinois involved once we get up to a certain number of partners. But right now we have kind of three academic partners that are involved. And we're in the process of actually recruiting additional uh, industry partners to get involved. These industry partners can range from large multi-million billion dollar companies that are kind of dabbling or interested in extended reality and kind of want to stay at the forefront of the technology. So they can see where they can utilize and bridge into that application because it's one of the largest compound annual growth factors when you're looking at market cap. Extended reality is one of the most fastly growing application markets right now. So there's a lot of companies that are interested in those applications, all the way to startup companies that are working specifically in extended reality and they want to basically validate their use cases, they want to validate their software platforms, and they want to get integrated with these academic and healthcare institutions to try to increase the adoption of their platform. So the goal of Mixer is, there's several different pillars that we kind of work from. First is kind of that diversity, equity, and inclusion component. So really trying to expand how this technology can impact the disparities in the healthcare system. There's a global impact as well. So one of the major benefits of extended reality technology is as long as you have someone that's got a headset and a Wi-Fi connection, you can connect to anyone, anywhere in the world, and you can connect them to either state-of-the-art technology in terms of the software, or leaders in a space you need to talk with a professional, collaborate with a professional that's perhaps across the world from you. Extended reality technology allows you to do that in real time and then have elements uh, brought within to the extended reality field as you need it. So for example, in surgery, we use it all the time for that collaborative component piece. And then we're also trying to increase the talent base that is in mixed reality. So almost like STEM program where we're trying to get students that are highly interested in this space and trying to increase the capacity to involve students in projects through funding. And then of course, increasing the adoption and the ubiquity of the technology and trying to make it easier to integrate into healthcare systems. That's one of the biggest benefits that I think Mixer can provide both to companies and to 
hospital systems and patients. That's a huge barrier right now, just in terms of getting the technologies in the hospitals. But we work, you know, with industry, we work with academia. The FDA is a partner uh, that's involved as well to try to expedite getting those technologies into the healthcare system. But that's kind of the basics of Mixer. We just got started with the initiative coming up on about a year now. And we're constantly going through recruiting cycles to bring in additional industry partners that have interest in the field. Thank you. How's the University of Michigan contributing to the extended reality field? Great question. So specifically at the University of Michigan, we have the university side. So that's the, the educational side. It's like the main institution and it's the university component. And then we have Michigan Medicine, which is the medical realm. So over on the university side, we have the Center for Academic Innovation. And that is led by uh, Jeremy Nelson and his team. And so they run an XR initiative. And that XR initiative is very much focused on getting students involved in extended reality applications, whether that's software development, whether that's you know, getting engineering students involved, UX, UI students in terms of enhancing the user experience. So there's all kinds of projects uh, and grants that the Center for Academic Innovation has in extended reality. And then on the medical side, you know, we're trying to really drive innovation of XR for different medical use cases. So we have 12 different departments, I believe, over 60 faculty members that are in our extended reality center with Michigan Medicine. A lot of those faculty members are either directly or indirectly involved with either research applications of extended reality or they're actually building extended reality applications. So in our Center for Surgical Innovation, which is where I'm housed, we run and initiate a lot of these programs in extended reality for those medical use cases. I think one of the most exciting ones that we're working on right now is our procedural simulation training. That's in mixed reality, again, so you can kind of get that mechanical feedback and develop the muscle memory. But we are actually um, developing an entire set of procedural simulations in mixed reality that basically guide a novice level trainee from, you know, step one, you know, opening up a kit to do a bedside procedure, say something like a central line insertion, all the way through inserting, you know, a needle into the patient, all the way through inserting the, uh, the actual catheter during the line insertion procedure. And we literally have a stepwise process that guides the student through that. And I think the most interesting component with that particular project is you can completely remove the faculty, right? It can just be the headset program to, to train the student or the trainee, you know, how to go through the, the procedure. And we can get them all the way from step one through step 30 without any faculty member present. And we've actually done some initial validation testing on that. And we had 100% competency scores, so it's not inferior to traditional simulation training. Um, we actually saw increased engagement by students, so they came in and they actually used the headset more than they would standard come into the, the simulation training lab. And also, we had them rate kind of their overall experience, and it had very favorable scores in terms of the user experience that they had. So that's some of the projects that we're working on, so in the mixed reality realm. Then on the virtual reality side, we have we focus more on like team-based comprehension, team-based learning. So one of our clinicians, Dr. Michael Cole, he's working on developing a virtual reality simulator that is focused on how to run a code. And so if a patient codes on the floor, team goes up and responds, and there's usually you know, four, five, six different team members that are in the room that are all communicating back and forth. And so this VR simulator actually simulates that experience and allows them to basically run a code on a patient in virtual reality, communicating back and forth. It has all these analytics that we measure just in terms of, you know, their overall cognitive load, stress measures, you know, in terms of some of the biometrics, and just overall grades them in terms of how they responded to the situation and how they communicated together. So that's kind of the breadth of what we're kind of working on overall, all the way from 
the virtual reality to the mixed reality applications, and then also trying to drive some of that innovation in the actual clinical use cases. So not just focused on education and training, but actually focusing on utilizing it within the actual clinical space. Yeah, that sounds really cool. I mean, most of the papers that I've read at the moment that have come up about virtual reality have been to do with like diagnosis, or I read recently the ADHD game. I'm not sure if you heard about it. Epily, which can diagnose children with ADHD. And also there's a lot, I think, in the pain space, like pain management. But it's really interesting to see how it's being used to train clinicians as well, and also by them, rather than just sort of for patients. Yeah, I think on a therapeutic side, I think one of the earliest adopters right there was in that mental health space, right? Mm-hmm. So when you think about you know, cognitive behavioral therapy or CBT, when you think about exposure therapy, a virtual reality is like a perfect opportunity to lend itself to that. It's a super safe environment and uh, you can mimic, you know, a lot of the things that are in virtual reality that would be very difficult to do in the real world or in the real space. So there's a lot of therapeutic components that are coming in there. Yes, you're seeing it used for a lot of diagnostics. A lot of companies have tried to come out with innovations trying to use it for surgery. So that can be for preoperative evaluation and preoperative planning, uh, which we see a lot with like 3D imaging and 3D imaging interpretation, which we're doing some work on uh, at U of M, and then all the way down to localization. So there's some mixed reality components that are providing procedural guidance um, and actually tracking you kind of through the operations that way you can say identify, you know, a cancer in the brain and and how do you you specifically get down to that area in the patient and using kind of augmented components to help facilitate that operation. So we really see it going across the breadth, all the way from medical education for medical students to training and simulation for procedural training, preoperative planning, all the way to actually being used in the operating room. And then we also see it on the patient side where, you know, you're putting a headset on a patient to, they're about to say get a vaccine. We do it for kids at U of M where we'll put them on a, on yeah. a headset so they're interacting and they're playing in a game environment, right? Yeah, yeah. And then they don't, <laughs> they don't feel the needle hook. So there's all kinds of applications for it. And we're just so excited because this field's rapidly growing and there's more awareness around it. A lot of people, you know, two, three years ago, were thinking that this is something of the future. But I always tell people, like, the future's now an extended reality, and you're just going to constantly see more and more growth in the field. And I always tell people, you've got your cell phone and you've got your laptop now that you carry around. I think in the next 10, 15 years, it's going to be you've got your cell phone, you've got your laptop, and you've got your headset, you know, that you're carrying around and that you're interacting with people on a daily basis. So uh, and who knows, maybe one of those things will be gone because everyone will just be using a headset or maybe there will be a yeah. piece of glasses or something people wearing. We, we don't know where it's going to go, but it's really exciting to see where the extended reality field is, is going to be innovating over the next 10, 15 years. Hmm. Yeah, that's amazing. What do you think the main rewards and challenges are when establishing an extended reality program in medicine? Yeah, we can touch on challenges first. And we kind of just highlighted it, right? Like Again, a lot of people think that this is something of the future. And especially on the academic side, right, the projects that get pushed forward are the projects that get funding. And I was just telling you how, you know, a lot of people that are in the medical space, you know, they've been in medicine for 20, 30 years, right? And so they didn't grow up in that digital age. They didn't grow up in that digital environment. And they're used to doing things a certain way. And so when you bring in a brand new technology that totally revamps and totally changes how you're going to be operating on a daily basis, there's oftentimes a lot of pushback that you're going to get from that, right? People are saying, I've been doing it this way for 15, 20 years, and it's worked great. My patients have great outcomes. And you say, well, here's a new way to do it. And we don't have a lot of data.
yet in terms of whether or not it improves outcomes or whether or not it improves efficiency, but we want to test it, there tends to be a decent amount of pushback there. So the point I'm driving down to there is a foundational knowledge base about extended reality technologies and what the technology is all about. Because when I take that same clinician that says, oh no, like I'm never going to put on a headset and use it for this application. But then I convince them to put a headset on and get immersed, and that's the key word, is immersion, into that experience, their mindset completely changes. And all of a sudden, they start seeing the myriad of applications that extended reality is going to have, even within their field, and how they could use it. So not just seeing a video, not reading about it in a blog, not even hearing it on a podcast, right? Putting on a headset and actually going through that experience and being immersed in that experience completely changes the mindset of people when they actually are, are able to exhibit the technology. So. That's one of the biggest barriers, is just putting a headset on someone uh, and getting them to kind of see the, the true level of application that the technology can have. With that, I would say, and again, this is more so on the academic side, it's funding, right? And so, you know, we have submitted dozens of grant applications. We've been fortunate enough to get several of them, but that's because we have the, the center that's been developed here at Michigan Medicine. We have a lot of applications that we've already kind of developed, we've kind of done a lot of the testing. We've kind of shown ourselves as, as somewhat of a leader in the extended reality space. And then we're also associated now with Mixer in the last year or so. And so with that, it's, it's a little bit easier for us to kind of get a little bit of traction and get a little bit of understanding and get, get grant funding to help push some of these proposals forward. But those people that are on those grant committees, it's very hard to get a headset on, right? Because you're never actually communicating with them. They're reading you know, an abstract that you wrote to them, they're reading a grant proposal, um, and they try to have to interpret and understand everything that you're talking about without getting that immersive experience. And so again, as the technology becomes more ubiquitous, more people are buying the MetaQuest, more people are buying the HoloLens 2, and more people are getting that exposure. And so as that exposure continues to increase, as people begin to adopt and see the technology more and more, I think that you're going to see even more people getting interested and getting excited in technology. And again, it's one of the largest growing fields when you're thinking about it from an economic market cap standpoint. And that's only going to exponentially increase, I think, over the next five to 10 years as there's more exposure and as there's more applications and more innovation that occurs within the field. So I think those challenges will start to kind of subside and go away and there will be new challenges that arise. But those are the two biggest ones just in terms of getting started. I think the final big challenge and the huge hurdle that we're trying to overcome is being able to adopt it and integrate it within a system, right? And on the medical side, you've got patient data, you've got privacy concerns, and then also you have you have safety and efficacy data in terms of is it safe to use and does it provide benefit to the patient? We have to prove those things. And so number one, in terms of the technology piece where data is being stored, ensuring patient privacy and, and the security of patient data, that of course is, is a primary concern at any, whether it's academic or non-academic healthcare institution. And so there's six months, 12 months, sometimes 18 months of processes that you have to go through to make sure that technology can be utilized in the healthcare space. And there's all kinds of authentications that the industry partners have to abide by, security certifications that they have to receive in order to be able to, to utilize the technologies in the space, even beyond getting FDA approval and, and those types of things. So that's a huge hurdle and challenge right now. So one of the things that we're really trying to do is standardize that process. So how do we do it at U of M? How do we do it at the University of Maryland? How do we do it at the University of Illinois to verify these technologies and get them into the healthcare space? And then, okay, let's combine our forces and let's create a singular process that can be utilized between all the institutions. And then let's tell the industry partners, this is the process that we follow and these are the certifications that you need. And all of a sudden you have a checklist and that checklist allows you to say, okay, we're certified to go and apply our 
extent reality technology within this space. So that's one of the, the major initiatives that at the University of Michigan we're really working on is trying to expedite that process to really enhance the adoption and the integration of these technologies. Because again, the future, it's, it's not the future, the future is now. Uh, these technologies are in some capacity ready to be used either in the clinical space or for medical education and training. And I always tell people, if you're not already innovating at center reality, you're kind of falling behind because this technology is rapidly going to be changing how we do things over the next five to 10 years. And we're trying to stay at the forefront of that here at Michigan. Yeah, I think it's really interesting that you said integration is a problem as well. I mean, one of the main issues that I keep coming across is I think people just, when they're afraid of something, it's because they don't understand it. If we can understand it, then we can learn to trust it. But if you don't understand how something works, then how can you trust it? How can you sort of place reliability in it? I think, yeah, it's just quite difficult. Yeah, um, I mean, I heard the other day someone was talking about AI and ChatGPT and immediately started going off and like, oh, this is just the beginning of Skynet, right? Talking about Terminator <laughs> reference. And, and I, I think that there's a lot of that kind of going around on the, on the AI side of things. Uh, but you're totally right. It's like people don't understand, even I have a difficult time kind of understanding how AI, how AI works, how it's created, despite being involved with you know, several projects that, that we utilize AI. So. Uh, again, it's all about exposure, right? It's all about exposure. It's all about education. It's all about understanding. And as people get exposed to these technologies, as people get exposed to AI, to XR, they'll see the utility in the applications. And sure, like every application could be used for bad purposes, right? But at the end of the day, you know, I think AI is going to drastically increase our ability to innovate and innovate on an exponential level to what we're doing right now. Because the capacity of a computer system to think clearly through a problem when it's a problem that can be solved by ones and zeros is way more significant than what the human mind is. It's our job to learn how to use the AI to really help solve and answer those questions and put the AI to work to really benefit the applications that we want to push forward and want to utilize. So similar problem that you have in your space on the AI side of things, we face that on the XR side with just getting a, a foundational understanding of the technology, yeah. where it can be used, where it can be applied, where it's already being used and applied, and some of the efficacy that's behind those use case applications. Yeah, definitely. In your opinion, what does the future hold for extended reality in medicine? Oh boy, uh, <laughs> I don't know. I honestly think that it's going to be used daily in the hospital system, whether that is being used for remote collaboration. So at Michigan, you know, we're a tertiary care center. Sometimes we call ourselves a quaternary care center because we get some of the sickest of the sickest patients from all across the Midwest. So we have patients that travel to us from hospitals that are six hours away, right? And one of the biggest issues with that is communication and developing that collaborative component, making sure that we have all the right data, right? Making sure that imaging comes over and gets transferred with a patient. And so extended reality is really going to allow some of that remote collaboration piece, both on a local and regional level, all the way up to a global level, right? We have clinicians that travel over to Africa all the time, and they do training in cardiology and, and intensivist procedures, or they do training in dialysis or, or fistulas. Like we have surgeons that go over there and do fistula training for, for certain countries over in Africa that have a, a high propensity for, for renal and kidney failure. And those are all things that instead of us, you know, picking up a physician, having them travel for, you know, months at a time over to another country, you can literally have a headset there, right? And they can connect in real time with a clinician anywhere in the world. So we can have a specialist here at University of Michigan connect with someone sub-Saharan Africa, as long as they've got an internet connection, right? Internet connection and a headset, and they can walk them through a procedure or guide them through an operation or talk in an intensive care setting about how to manage a patient. 
And so I, I think that you're going to see it used on that collaborative level, and that's going to be some of the first areas that you're really going to see widespread adoption in medicine. The other area that I think we're already seeing widespread adoption is in the training component, medical education and training. And the reason why is because you're not involving patients. And so it kind of eliminates some of the risk factors that come with that in terms of that safety and efficacy side of things. And it provides kind of a testing ground for you to, to test out the applications. But we're already seeing it used pretty significantly for things like anatomy training. We're really trying to be on the frontier of utilizing it for procedural training. And I think that we're going to have some amazing, hopefully some multi-institutional trials, which have never been done, by the way, in XR, uh, specifically for procedural training that we're hoping to get started on here in the very near future. And I think that the results are going to be mind-blowing in terms of what we can do with the technology on the, on the training forefront. So using it for that collaboration piece, using it for medical education and training, and I think that you're going to see increasing adoption of it to be utilized for actual medical use cases. You're already seeing it on the therapeutic side, as we talked about earlier, in the mental health space, one of the, the earliest adopters of it, but even in surgery. You know, I think that surgeons are going to be using this technology day in and day out. It's just a matter of optimizing the hardware for an operating room type environment and then optimizing the software, you know, to get rid of some of the current issues like lag, latency, and sometimes the, the visual disturbances that it can cause in the operating room, those types of things. But those are all going to be solved with other innovations in technology like 5G. So we're like getting a full 5G system that we're testing out at Michigan Medicine and, and just those internet speeds are going to improve those things. And, as the flurry of technology innovations comes out, I think that a lot of those are going to be applied to the extended reality space and really help drive innovation on that front and drive adoption of it. But the short answer to your question is I don't know, but I'm really excited for what extended reality is going to be in medicine in the next 10 to 15 years. Thank you. That's all from me, but do you have any closing comments? I would just say that you know, if there's anyone listening to the podcast that has an interest in extended reality or specifically for medical use cases, or whether it's just you know dabbling and in, in getting interested in it or potentially seeing if there's an application or an idea that you have that could be applied in medicine, uh, we're all open ears here at the University of Michigan, at Michigan Medicine, at our Center for Academic Innovation and our Center for Surgical Innovation. So I think we can include contact information that people would require in this podcast if they want to reach out to us. But we encourage if there's other institutions that want to get involved and want to learn how we built our XR program because they want to do something similar. If there's companies that want to get involved and learn more about Mixer and potentially get involved either as, as an affiliate or as an actual you know, paying partner, we'd be interested in having those discussions because we're constantly recruiting new companies for that as well. Or if there's just any individual that says, hey, I have an idea for extended reality and I just want to run a buy it and see what your thoughts are. We love those inquiries because some of our best projects have come from those conversations. So my encouragement would basically be reach out if you have an interest and we'd be happy to field any questions, comments, and would be happy to get other people involved in the work that we're doing at Michigan Medicine because we really truly believe extended reality is the new frontier of medicine. Thank you. Thank you so much for speaking with us today, Taylor. It's been really insightful to hear about the medical and surgical applications of mixed reality technologies and also how they can benefit medicine. Thank you to our listeners, and if you'd like to hear any more podcasts like this, please head to fmaihub.com.